If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. It's time for a completely unnecessary podcast for Tuesday, pre-Turkey Thanksgiving Tuesday, November 22nd, 2016. Too many twos on this Tuesday. Uh, I'm going solo again. My name is Pat Contry. I'll be your host for the next, I don't know, 90 minutes, two hours as we talk about mostly retro gaming news, some modern gaming. One pro wrestling topic. Ian's still not feeling well. He will eventually return to the podcast when his health is better. Until further notice, I'm Pat Contry. I'll be your host on this soiree of video gaming fun. Coming up on the show, we'll be, of course, talking about the NES Classic Edition and all sort of sort of scumbuggery fuckery going on with that. We'll be talking about uh, Wii U ending production, officially. Kirby Satellaview games bought uh, on Dumped Games. Oh, uh, Watch Dogs 2 Vagina. <laughs> and your Q&A. First off, I want to thank everyone for coming out and watching, uh, contributing, helping spread the word for the 7th Annual NES Charity Marathon benefiting the Children's Miracle Network. That was the weekend of the 12th and 13th. It went off mostly without a hitch. There was a 45-minute part of the uh, stream where it went down. We had to reset the router. It didn't work. We had to reset the modem that finally worked. Big thank you to two people in particular for helping uh, save my sanity and help it be an entertaining event. Uh, Gerard Khalil, the completionist, check him out. I did a video with him, Castlevania, a few years ago. And also, Avani, Ian's uh, better half, his his wife, they helped uh, come along and help out. Gerard was there for about 12 to 13 hours until 1 a.m. Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then Avani came and helped out the rest of the way. And then Frank came on Sunday morning and helped as well. Uh, complete a level of Super Mario Brothers. So we ended up raising, with your help, $20,280.456 backers for the Children's Miracle Network. So that's fun. I'm going to try to get that online. Uh, you know, at least on Twitch, you can, like, do highlights. This year, unlike last year, last year I was stupid. It didn't auto-archive, so I had to rely on other people who had screen-capped and saved the stream, and that ooh, that worked out kind of... But it's always better to save your source yourself, which I have done this year. Yay! So I'll try to replay it at some point so you guys can see it if you miss that. And I'll probably go back at some point and have special events where you can watch the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth, Jesus Christ, seven NES marathons in total. So that that's uh, that was fun. Um, I'll be working on a new NES Punk video in the coming week or so. Uh, I've, I'm slowing down now. In life I am, because I'm exhausted. But the NES Marathon was the last big event of the year. I had five events in the in the previous six weeks before that that I had to go to. It was about, you know, and that was rough on me. And then um, just, just working on stuff. I've been trying to get the app done. Unfortunately, 
Uh, my developer has been sort of uh, hard to get in contact with. I'll just put it, I can put it more harshly than that, but uh, it was supposed to come out a month ago. So I'll hopefully an update soon on that. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm sort of in the dark on my own app, which is not good, but we can hopefully get that sorted out soon because I want you guys to see this cool NES app and I would hate to start from scratch uh, you know, uh, with another developer. So hopefully that doesn't uh, have to occur. Um, we're doing a second print run of Ultimate Nintendo Guide to the NES Library. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be cool uh, because there were some errors here and there that I, I found, and with someone's help online who is going to get a free copy of the book, we corrected some developers, uh, found some more hidden ones, and uh, the color scheme is a little bit nicer on the front and back section now, uh, the extra articles, the margins were fixed here and there. Uh, and you know, there's a nice ad for that, for that app that I'm hoping is going to come out now on that one blank page that was in the book. So we're running out of books though. So if you order the book in December, there's a chance you probably won't get it until sometime later in January, just because the amount of people, which is a good problem to have the, the amount of people buying the book has actually picked up steam. There has been a couple reviews out there, uh, which has helped, and probably one or two more. Uh, but, but at this time, I'm almost like almost like wishing that the, the reviews won't come out on YouTube. It's like, oh, I'm going to running out of books. But, you know, I'll just have to go back to the good old pre-order days again. And hopefully, you know, uh, after Christmas, there'll be a full stock again. And then uh, we'll continue from there. They're going to be easier to find than the NES Classic Edition. I've only seen one or two people try to scalp um, my book. Uh, one was a game store that wanted like 100 or 120 for it. And then there was someone else online trying to get a huge amount of money before I put my own on eBay and started selling them there as well. So uh, Thanksgiving's a great time to relax. I won't be, of course, but you can relax on Thanksgiving. Play some football, hopefully not get injured. You know, most of my major injuries to my body were done either through, like, tackle football with friends, turkey bowl sort of thing, torn rotator cuff. Uh, I broke my finger. In college, playing flag football broke my finger. There's a guy basically tackled me from behind while I was going to catch the ball and threw off my timing, and the ball hit me dead on in my pinky and, and splintered it. And it's still probably going to bother me the rest of my life. I almost feel like cutting the damn finger off. But anyway, enjoy this Thanksgiving. Uh, relax. And uh, we take for granted sometimes, not to be corny, uh, what we have, what we should be thankful for. We have, as bad as your life might be, we have it a lot better than a lot of else, a lot of other people out there, especially in other countries. Uh, so, be thankful, be grateful, and uh, that tryptamine can get you. So, be careful with that turkey. <laughs> All right. So, then the NES Classic Edition came out on the 11th, right before the NES uh, Charity Marathon. And again, thank you if you donated or helped spread the word for the Children's Miracle Network. I have mine over here. So I was lucky enough to order mine the, uh, I guess that Thursday night, midnight before the 11th, they started getting released. Um, I believe so. Or did I get a pre-order? I forget. I tweeted it out, but I was lucky to go on GameStop and order, uh, order, uh, actually two. I have ordered one for myself and one for uh, a friend who I told them, you're going to want this. And they said, no, I'm not going to want it. And now after they saw it, they want it. Hold this conversation. So I was lucky enough to get an NES Classic Edition. And then I got like this sort of a combo pack where it was an NES Classic Edition um, 
the Prima book, which I still have to look at, the, 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 not, not, not the certain NES guide book, but you know, the Nintendo official guide, and then an extra controller. And I did that because the extra controllers are impossible to find by themselves. If, it, if, you, if, they, if you think these are hard to find, uh, the extra controllers have not been produced in mass quantities at all, and most stores aren't really carrying more than a couple. So I got the NES Classic Edition, and what are my thoughts? Well, it's about what I thought it was going to be, which is good. Uh, it's, it's a great solution for, I'd say, 95% of people out there. Again, that's not you listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube. But it's a great solution if you want to play NES games, you have a modern TV, and you don't want the hassle of having to go online, find some ROM sites, find the ROMs you want to remember, how to get it, find an emulator, figure out how to play it, go online, buy a controller, figure out how to use that, and do all that. To me and you who've been using emulators for like 20 years, yes, it's child's play, but pick pick an average 40-year-old off the street, you know, a 60-year-old uh, grandmother who has young kids she wants to share these games with. Uh, you don't want to deal with that bullshit. You just want a little, little, little HDMI-compatible, you know, no-frills, works-out-of-the-box unit, and that's what this is. In terms of the build quality, it's cute, it's cuddly. Uh, I like the, the feel of the power buttons and the reset button, uh, which I'll get into what that does in a, in a second. The power button lights up. It has the two controller ports. It comes with the one controller. So, yes, absolutely yes. It is uh, w- way sad that the controller cord is only about two and a half feet long. That said, though, you need to be close to your NES Classic Edition anyway to reset the game, or reset, excuse me, the reset button is basically the menu button. So you need to be close to it no matter what, because there's no way to access it using the NES Classic controller. Um, so the reset button will take you back to the main menu, where you could save your game, load a save state, delete your save state, uh, access the uh, options, and most importantly, switch the game. Would have been nice if you can do that with a controller combination, like, I don't know, uh, start, select A and B, can get you back to the menu, uh, that would have been cool, but as far as I know, there's no shortcut in the game for that. Uh, however, if you have the you know the the Wii uh, Pro Classic controller, you know um, one of the various ones, either the one that looks like a PS4 controller or the one that is more just an oval. Uh, if it has a home button, the home button, thank God, acts as a reset button on the console to get you back to that main menu to do all the stuff you want to be able to do with that. So it looks it looks beautiful. Uh, make sure, obviously, that you set your LCD TV to game mode, cut down on lag, or, or whatever the mode. Uh, TVs will differ in what mode is the best uh, latency. Uh, but I really did not notice that much lag, if at all, when I was playing my games. I played through, I'm going in order, since I probably will do a Pat the NES Punk video about it. Spoilers! Uh, but I'm up to, like, Final Fantasy or Ghosts and Goblins around there, so I've played about eight or nine games so far. Uh, but it's cool. You can even sort the games on the year they came out. So you get all those black box games first. And you can also uh, sort by the two-player games or uh, by the publisher. So there's some cool little things I put in. And the, the three different uh, modes, viewing modes, are nice. I recommend you stay with the regular 4.3. Uh, the Pixel Perfect, eh, it's the squeezed... Uh, more square. Uh, uh, I don't like that. And then the CRT mode will be cool just for a nostalgic factor, but you'll you'll learn to love again 
uh, the clean, you know, digital sort of version because that CRT view. Remember when you were a, when you were a kid playing on that you know twenty six inch TV, you, you know twelve feet back, you really didn't notice all that fuzziness and scale lines affecting the gameplay as much. And you didn't have a sixty inch TV where you, where you can see that all blown up in your face and really affect you. So I recommend staying with the uh, the regular four three viewing mode. And you should be fine. And again, in terms of the games, I went over it before, according to a certain NES guidebook, which I don't have around me, the average star rating for the 30 games, according to that, I believe was around four stars, I believe, or four and a quarter, something like that. Uh, so it's high up there. The vast majority, uh, majority of games are four stars, four and a half, or five. Uh, off the top of my head, the five-star games on the system would be Curry's Adventure, uh, Legend of Zelda, the three Super Mario Brothers games. Uh, are the are the five star games? Uh, I have to remember if there were any else. Uh, Legend of Zelda Two: Adventure of Link was four and a half. Tecmo Bowl was four and a half. Um, and then there's only the only weak ones, if you can call them that. I gave Ghosts and Goblins three stars, which is still better than average, but still not great. Um, and then the only one below average, I gave Ice Climber two stars, which is that's what it is in the book, two stars below average, because uh, I don't like it that much. And uh, it's not too fun a game for me after a while. Other than that, though, it's a great selection. You have your Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., your Galaga, your Pac-Man, if you want your old school games. You have your Final Fantasy, if you want a, a good RPG. You got your Excite Bikes and stuff like that. Double Dragon 2, a great beat-em-up. This is all off the top of my head. I'm not running through all of them. Uh, but for, I'd say, 95% of that casual Walmart target crowd, that's what you want. That's what you need you don't really need that much more than that you should be satisfied remember this could be something that you, you the casual audience might pick up and play for like a month and be sick of it and so for that $60 is worth it you know that's a, that's a triple a title uh cost and if you played it for a month and threw it away i think that's worth the $60 um there is enough going for it though in terms of replayability because of the save states uh, because you, you have to find that second controller if you're a casual person. You might not realize the classic pro controller works. I, I think it might be something where you, you, you might end up going to like a house party with your you know your older friends. And the same way that it was when the Wii came out. You remember back in 2007, 2008, even 2009? I do, because I moved here. and remember going to cocktail parties with the, uh, you know, the upper crust or even semi-upper crust. I managed to weasel my way into there. Well, they were playing Wii bowling and Wii boxing at parties. Not saying this has the same potential, but it's it's in that ballpark where I can picture going to a cocktail party or a get-together that usually would be playing video games, and they might have this around and say, hey, let's put that in. Let's play Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Oh, no, it's just regular Punch-Out. No one's going to know or care or even realize the difference at that party. They're going to play Glass Joe. Um, they won't even get up to King Hippo, and they'll be fine with it. So uh, that said... Uh, obviously, there's going to be issues getting these. Hopefully, uh, it's ironed out in the next week or so. Walmart said at one point every day on their website, at a certain time, I think it was like 2 p.m. Pacific, they're going to release some on their website every day that week, but they were still limited. Limited edition, people. You got your you got your punch-outs. You got your Final Fantasies. And we'll throw in the Sammy Sofa. Sofa? <laughs> the Sammy Sofa. God, I'm tired. Ah, that joke was ruined. Sammy Sosa. Uh, rookie card. So, again, this is not for everyone. If you, if you begin to say, just get a RetroPie, just get an emulator, Nintendo's not marketing this towards you, 
And this is not the reason why Nintendo's going to be printing money over the next, I'd say, six to eight months, if not a year, selling these still. You're not the reason why. Realize that and move on from it and let everyone else who wants one get one. It's not for collectors necessarily, even though it's cute. And it's it's not for, you know, someone who's been playing Nexticles since 1997, like me, necessarily. But I will say this. It's cool to have this around when people are over. You have a special special friend. You have a girlfriend that comes over. It's a lot easier while you're watching, you know, Netflix. Say, oh, let's play, you know, Excite Bike for five minutes. Uh, and you switch it on real quickly. And then there you go. You have your Excite Bike. No euphemisms uh, really needed there or really didn't really mean to do that. Anyway, so <laughs> that's the difference. You're not going to say, oh, let me get my Frame Meister going and hook in my NES, or let me find my mod uh, Nintendo. Let's go to my game room to play. No, it's convenient. Convenient, people. Convenient. It'll be interesting to see if Nintendo will come out with more of these. I can picture them doing that at some point. Not just quantity. I mean, putting out you know, one with, I don't know, 60 more games if they see how well this does. You know, maybe they'll paint it red or blue. I don't know. Either way, I, I like it. Uh, go out and get your classic Pro Controller. And go out, speaking of this, uh, what Nintendo showed done, I'm, not, I'm actually less pissed about the 2.5-foot controller cord than I am with the you know, 6-foot HDMI cable that they included. 6 to 8 feet, whatever it was. It w- wasn't that long. You can't do both because most people have their 50-inch TV or 60-inch uh, LED TV on the wall or it's 15 feet away. Eight plus two and a half, six plus two and a half is you know ten feet, less than ten feet. Pat math, so that's not good enough. So please go out there and either buy a controller extension, which they have. I don't even recommend that because again, you need the con- uh, system close to you to hit that good old reset bu- <clears throat> reset button. Excuse me. Go out and buy a twenty foot HDMI cable for like five six bucks. They're on eBay. They're online. They work fine. You don't need a hundred and eighty dollar monster cable. That's the biggest scam ever. Um, go out and buy your 15, 20-foot, 25-foot HDMI cable, and you're good to go. At that point, you're fine. And then go online and buy a 7 or $6 Classic Controller Pro for the second controller port. And again, you're good to go. You might end up using that more than the regular NES controller anyway, because again, it has that handy home button. So there you go. My quick review, I recommend it uh, to a certain portion of the population. If you're listening to this podcast, you'll probably be 50-50 on getting it, maybe leaning 60-40, but you'll still have people saying, I don't understand who this is for. If you have to ask that, you don't understand why Nintendo's going to make a billion dollars with these little little guys right here. So, That said, of course, the NES Classic Edition is getting scalped like no tomorrow. Not as bad as the Wii was. Uh, probably as bad as the Amiibos, I'd say. At least certain Amiibos. I would say that for sure. Uh, but like both, the, eventually the problem was rectified and Nintendo put out a lot more of them. doesn't mean what's still is happening is sucking. And yes, absolutely, it's from people going to stores and buying them all up. You know, you hear the rumors that, oh, certain stores are only carrying five or GameStop only has five or ten. I think that's pretty much true because I can't picture someone taking the risk of buying 20 or 30 at one time. Not many people have that. Let's put it this way. If you have that amount of credit, or cash on you, you're not wasting your time going through that effort to going out and, and trying to make that buck, spending two grand uh, at one store, going to another store and spending over three grand. I just don't see. It. I, I think you're, I think you're hustling backwards at that point. But that's just me. So, but I did go on Craigslist, and today I'm recording this on the 22nd. So this is uh, 11 days after the release of the system. And on Craigslist, um, 
when I last looked, I'll look again right now, there were, in my San Diego area, 90 different NES Classic Edition listings. 90. And this is 11 days after the stupid thing has come out. 11 days. NES Classic. I'll look again right now and see what comes up. With two-year warranty. Like you're going to need it. Uh, Here's one with extension cords and controller for $300. Controller, $75. By the way, I've seen the controllers go for about $50 to $60 on eBay. Maybe a little bit more. These are still all up here. $150. Again, this is 11 days after this stupid thing's been out. I use stupid nicely. I think it's a good product for what it is, especially with the price point. So there were 90 I saw at the time. Maybe 80. I, I glanced real quickly uh, in the area. So let's just say, I'll even be more generous. I'll say there were 50 when I last looked a few days ago. We'll say there were 50, and we'll say uh, double or triple that amount sold in between now and then, either on, on eBay or on Craigslist from those uh, go-getter sellers I got up at 6 in the morning to troll around Walmart's Targets and Best Buys and all the GameStops, buy them all. If there's only five in a store, how many do you think in San Diego County there were total versus how many were bought out by these scalpers? You're not a reseller, you're a fucking scalper. I'm not going to explain the difference again uh, to you, maybe in the comments section, about why you're not a simple reseller. Okay, I will explain it. Because you're scalping a new product that's still on the market and still getting shipped. Reselling is usually for aftermarket stuff that's out of print, not, no longer manufactured. That's the difference between scalping and reselling. Anyway, you're choking the market, the natural market, uh, and and choking the marketplace when you're scalping. You are cutting off basically the supply to people that want it. That's the difference when you're scalping versus reselling. Anyway, so we'll just say, we'll just say in San Diego County, and I'm going to be generous here. Five times how many GameStops in San Diego County? I'm going to say there are 12 GameStops. We'll say 60. We'll say there's like seven Best Buys, 35. That's 95. Uh, we'll say there's uh, Walmarts, 25 combined uh, Walmarts uh, and Targets. That's 125 plus what, 95? Okay, we'll just say 250. 250 that were readily available in the San Diego County area. Maybe we'll say 300. We'll say 300 were available. That could be a little lower, a little high, but it's probably not way out of the ballpark for how many that were out there available on that Friday the 11th. I would venture to say at least, according to seeing 50 to 60 on Craigslist now, I'd say at least two-thirds to 70% were bought that day for scalping. So out of like 300, you're talking 200 to maybe 220 that were choked, just the marketplace just choked, and those were eliminated only to try to people to recoup uh, recoup their investment on multiple ones or try to make a quick buck. Well, while that sad family goes away without their NES Classic Edition, not realizing that there are scum fucks out there scalping them. So th- that's what you're looking at right now. Fortunately, the market uh, will correct itself because when Nintendo sees that uh, they see, whoa, these are selling out quickly. The stores are, are ordering more already in the first day. Nintendo's not giving a shit. This is a part of the problem. They're not giving a shit whether or not that's going to that family or that kid that wants to play the 
the NES Classic Edition and have fun with it versus someone who bought 5 or 10 or 20 or Scalpium. Nintendo doesn't know the difference. They just see the demands there. So they'll make more and get, get them out there. Hopefully. And hopefully not going through some sort of artificial bullshit. Um, let's not, let's keep the demand up by not making a lot like they supposedly, allegedly did with the Nintendo Wii and the Amiibo. However, the Wii U, they did not do that. And again, demand was less with the Wii U than the Wii. Anyway. So more will come out there. I'd say give it by early December. I think these will be more readily available and the scalping problem will go away. Already, uh, hell, seeing on here, uh, people are asking for under $200 for these. And on eBay, I think they're going for less. I'll do a quick uh, search on open auctions uh, for them. But I think already the first week sort of rushes die down a little bit there. But unfortunately, people buying them in person at stores isn't the brunt of the issue at all. It absolutely is not. Let's see. One minute left on an NES Classic Edition right here on eBay. As an aside, let's see what this goes for. It's at $200 with open uh, with open bidding right now. be interesting to see what that goes for uh, right there. Um, the bigger problem, which I'll talk about from a Venture Beat article, the bigger problem is the use of bots to automatically grab the NES Classic Editions off of these websites as soon as they are available. That, to me, is way more damaging than some uh, Yahoo getting up and trying to troll around his county and buy up 9 or 10 and try to make a quick buck. It's more damaging when you have someone running bots to crawl Walmart.com and BestBuy.com and Amazon and buying 40 or more. As many as, they, as many as they can handle or whatever their bot can do. So, according to this VentureBeat article, and I'm going to link to it, um, someone accidentally bought $500 worth of NES Classic Distance from Walmart uh, last Tuesday because they were using a bot to do that. And they didn't even want, want to buy that many, but the bot did it. You must be thinking to yourself, what, 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 there's bots that do this? Well, there's been eBay sniping bots for a long, long time, both programs and websites, so why couldn't you be able to do that, uh, write a program to do that on, a, on another website? Well, that's what's happening right now. That's what's happening right now. So, according to this Venture Beat article, this has been going on for a while. Nike sneakers, people are using bots to buy. Toys. Sundresses from Target. I had no clue there was this, like, sun uh, Target sundress scalping scene going on. I, that, that should be a podcast topic in and of itself. Wow. I had no, no idea. Really? That's true? Yeah, there's an article There's an article on NPR about that. Interesting. So anyway, so the, the bot's called Tiding. T-A-I space D-I-N-G. It's a piece of software that you can't find publicly yet from a developer called Eileen, who goes by the handle Papa Johns on Twitter. And Johns is spelled J-A-W-N-Z on Twitter. And he's someone who has 1,500 followers on Twitter. So so he was interviewed, and he said, uh, the way it works is pretty simple. You can either use early links or keywords. And by now, all the links are out, by the way, for where these... NES Classic doesn't show up. I type the keywords into my bot. It automatically scans the entire Walmart.com for the word and buys the product. Well, well, geez, that's that sounds pretty simple. Uh, so you, get, you basically have it running on your uh, PC, and you can search for NES Classic Edition, 
And if you have your credit card already in there, if you're logged into these websites, which you can easily set up uh, an account, password, etc., um, and you're logged in, it'll run through it and make as many purchases as you want. Of course, you can screw up with the keyword and buy other stuff, maybe not exactly the product, but you can always return that or cancel that. So, people are using this to scout this uh, this program, Tai Ding. Uh, this, this bot program is not for sale yet, but he's letting people in his group uh, have a free and beta test it. So this is the good news about this. Th- it's good that this is getting public because the more people that know about this can eventually get this and level the playing field. And unfortunately, that includes um, more people that want to scalp, but more people that aren't going to scalp that want to get it. You, you, you both got to cheat. It's basically like if everyone starts using steroids in baseball, you know, the pitcher's got to start using steroids to catch up to the batters. Well, this is your steroids for the NS Classic Edition, this tie ding to buy this stuff off websites. Everyone's going to be competing for the same limited stock, but at least uh, if people get this or another bot program, you're going to have people trying to buy just to get have to use a fucking bot. It makes me sick. Why can't these websites just say limit it one per customer or two per customer or three and be done with it? Like, why can't Walmart just do that? They're going to fucking sell them, Walmart! Best Buy, you're going to sell them. Target, you're going to sell out in a day. Uh, Amazon, the same thing. You're going to sell out. Just limit the amount. Holy shit. Even do one or two a day. Come back the next day and try again and get more if you want to scalp them. Let's just be fair. Holy shit. <sighs> All right. Um, the, the friend who who spoke to the author of this article, uh, Jeff Grubb, said to them, uh, da, da, da. They point out we're not doing anything illegal and people like me aren't going anywhere. Um, most corporations are getting better about producing enough supply to meet demand. They also know it's that bots make it easier, but he'd still be out there without it. Well, yeah, you'd be out there without it, but at least then you're, you're spending time wasting your gas running around the county searching for these elbow and grandma out of the way. At least I can respect that somewhat uh, versus just using these bots. So that's why I'm not totally encouraged when I say that there's going to be more stock on certain websites out there. Like Dell.com is going to be getting more. Uh, I think in early December they announced it. They're going to be getting their stock in. So uh, it's tough, but I think Nintendo eventually is going to flood the market of these, the same way they did with Amiibo, and it'll even itself out. And it's a pyramid scheme just in terms of eventually some scalping tier is going to lose. The people that won will be the ones in the first three, four weeks that... They're going to get it and get out. But if you keep re-upping and buying more, buying 30 more, when, they, when you, you reach that tipping point where you can't buy enough to choke out the market versus people that want it, and then you'll be left with like 10 or 20 or 30 of these. And then most of your profits will be dissipated by that point. If you're dumb, if you're smart, you'll get in and out before that. It's like it's like selling a stock, when it, not at the peak, but before the peak to be safe. These people, these people are going to be selling stock after it started, starts to plummet or worse, and at that point you're losing money. So... Don't worry, these will be more available. They will be. It's just whether or not you're going to get them for Christmas. I think I gave someone a 40% chance of walking in before uh, the week before Christmas and buying one of these without any trouble. I, I still I still stand by that 40% chance, maybe 50%, that by then there'll be enough there. You know, Walmart will have like 60 in the store. So you'll be able to get one if you're there the first day or maybe the second day. But not 5 or 10, there's absolutely no way that's going to be going to be possible. Absolutely not. All right, go out and uh, beat those bots. I was looking enough to get mine without a... Uh, I guess I was competing against bots and somehow got uh, got mine. Yay, Pat, you, you beat the bots. Eh. All right. 
So, speaking of the NES Classic Edition, which, Jesus Christ, how many freaking segments can I do on it as I get a sip of water? Mm. We have a special NES Classic Edition scumbag seller of the week. 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 And this scumbag seller of the week happens to be happens to be eBay. <laughs> oh man, and you know why the scumbag seller of the week is eBay? No, it's not some store in the Midwest called Vintage Stock that's selling NES Classic Editions for two hundred dollars. And yes, before I get into eBay, I, I received that story from like I don't know ten different people, and MSRP is the manufacturer's suggested retail price. That doesn't mean that the retailer has to charge fifty nine ninety nine that Nintendo recommends. They can charge whatever the hell they want. And it's up to you whether or not you think it's too much money. You can walk away from it. The MSRP in my book, plug, but not really. Example is the same, $59.99 or $60. But if I wholesale it to someone in Japan or a retro game store, they can they can sell it for whatever they want, $80 or $100, and that's totally legal. So it's up to you whether or not your local store, if you think it's being a scumfuck, pardon my French, scumfuck? That's, that's beyond French. That's like Russian. Pardon my Russian. If they're selling it for way above what you think is is fair, then don't shop there or, or, or complain about it. That's, that's your right. But they have the right to sell it for whatever they want. But what's shitty, though, is when eBay encourages scalping. Now, eBay, hell, I would, I would argue eBay encourages selling of counterfeit uh, Nintendo games since they rarely do anything about it and, and reproduction counterfeit labels. Uh, but... One of the reasons why this is so prolific with people scalping is because it's easy to get rid of the product. It's even easier to sell on eBay than it is in your local county or town if you're selling on Craigslist because that's a limited number of buyers. eBay, the entire world, is your buying market. So what eBay is doing right now, as of uh, November 22nd when I'm recording this, they're guaranteeing you, I don't know how this works or why they would do this, they're going to guarantee you At least $226 that the NES Class Edition will sell if you sell according to their rules. This is according to a report on Nintendo Life. So I'm not saying this is widespread with everyone, but this is one seller in particular that saw this come up. I didn't know there were guaranteed prices for, for listing on eBay. This might be something new. But this is a screenshot from their phone. Could this be could this be uh, faked? It could be. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Nintendo Life followed up with this person and to ver- verify this. But so it says on here, they look like they're selling it from their phone. Your item qualifies. This is eBay's screen. Your item qualifies for a two hundred twenty-six dollar price guarantee. We recommend seven-day auction, a starting price of ninety-nine cents. List using our recommendations, and if your item sells for less than two hundred twenty-six dollars. We'll cover the difference with an eBay coupon. And then it gives a little orange, I guess, does the average. Items like yours had a starting price near 99 cents. Uh, items like yours that, that had a starting price near 99 cents sold for between $214 and $300. Whew. So, oh, Polygon, lovely Polygon site, reported that it, it was offered a guaranteed price of 193 So this is actually true. And it might be trending up. 
you have to do the recommended listings uh, provided by eBay in order in order to qualify for this. So they're going to give you uh, that eBay coupon, which is basically cash because you can use it to buy anything if if uh, you don't hit what they what they say. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. That's not just saying it's okay because in the past eBay would show on the front page like Amiibo. Uh, this is how much they're going for if you sell it. I mean, this is now guaranteeing this isn't this is now people are going to go out of their way to try to scalp these using ebay these nes classic editions that's absolutely despicable like like ebay wasn't going to be making enough money as is when people scalping these now they're going to say okay well we want more people to do it holy shit imagine this if this happened you know 16 years ago it tickled me elmo you know we guarantee you'll make at least $340 if you auction off Tickle Me Elbow in the year, whatever that was, year 2000 or 99, whatever that was. That's insane to me. But it's true. But you can't always blame the sellers, even eBay. You got to blame the dumb buyers here that can't be patient enough for, like, you can't fucking wait another week or two after Black Friday to get one of these. That'll be more readily available. The price will trend down on these. They will. There's only so many... That scalpers can have and, and buy and choke the market. That's that's the word of the the podcast is choke, choking the marketplace. Eventually, as with everything that's produced new, you know there'll be enough to get out there that the scalpers can't control the market. But shame on eBay. That's just ugh. that's just slimy to do that. I just don't. I just don't understand why they would why they would do that. I wonder what Nintendo thinks about that. You think Nintendo cares? I mean, they're just going to sell no matter what. Nintendo's not going to doesn't care, you know, if scalpers are buying them or if people are actually going to use the product are buying them. They just see, oh, Walmart sold 10,000. Give them 10,000 more. You know, like that's all they care about at the end of the day. It's the same profit to Nintendo. But Nintendo has to realize that they... If people were spending $200, $300 on the NES Classic Edition, that's less money potentially to spend on new Nintendo products that Nintendo can also make money on, whether it's Amiibo, their games, that extra $10 controller even. It all counts. Uh, Nintendo hasn't cared in the past, but they should care going forward, though. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of disappointed that eBay would blatantly say that we're going to guarantee you money in order to get you to sell. That's just beyond the pale to me. That's just, just one step. You know they you know they encourage it, but now this is, like, bashing you over the skull with it. So Nintendo's confirmed that Wii U production is ending soon in Japan, and shipments to North American retailers will be stopping. Now, this was rumored before, uh, rumored, uh, what was it, like three, four months ago, I was trying to play the devil's advocate with why a CEO wouldn't come out on a, on a, on a stock call, uh, with stockholders and say, yeah, the, the Wii U is dead and we're not going to be selling that crappy system that underperformed awfully anymore. You can't say that. Well, obviously you knew behind the scenes with Nintendo Switch coming out and the fact that there really is no more Wii U games in the pipeline besides uh, Breath of the Wild, which is also going to be on the Switch, by the way. There's the it's a it's a dead system. At least it will be by the end of 2017, I think for sure. So, a spokesperson for Nintendo told uh, Game Informer that Wii U shipments to North American retailers for this financial year have now has now ended, and then Wii U production in the near future uh, will end in Japan. 
Uh, we confirm that as today, that all Wii U hardware that will be made available in the North American market for this fiscal year has already been shipped to our retail partners, the rep said. We encourage anyone who wants Wii U to communicate with their preferred retail outlet to monitor availability. Oh, I think you're not going to have a problem finding them. I think you can still march in the Toys R Us and find those red Nintendo Wiis, you know, those ones that came out with it where they gutted the uh, internet capabilities out of it. I think you can still find those. You have no problem uh, finding Wii U's at retailers or your local swap meet or GameStop or anywhere else. I, 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 I don't think we're in any, any trouble right now of finding Wii U's at all. Um, again, it's just funny that they came out and said, oh, no, we're not stopping production on this. No, 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 no. Come on, man. You, you know that. You can't say it. Uh, you can't say it, of course. So just to reiterate, the Switch is going to come out March. And originally they said Wii U was going to continue at the same time. Absolutely no way. Make no sense at all uh, to do that. There's enough Wii U's to go around. There's enough dusty Wii U's at my logo Target right now. Uh, there's probably like 30 in the back right there. that you, They might sell one over Christmas or two. People will buy it by accident. Or it'll be like the old 75-year-old great... Uh, great aunt that buys you one not realizing either you already have it or you have no interest in it that'll be buying them for kids this holiday season no kid is asking for a wii u okay i shouldn't say that there'll be some kids asking for a wii u but it won't be that many more kids will ask for a freaking freaking 3ds or even nes classic edition uh than wii u at this at this point and again it's only four years after this stupid thing has been released man um system went on sale November 2012 sold 13.36 million units worldwide. You say, oh, that's not bad. 13 million. Yeah, they sold 101 million Wii's. 101. Will that be repeated by a console? I have no clue, but that's in, that's insanely insanely good for any any console or any product ever in the history of the world. A hundred million is pretty damn good. Well, I have you here, so this won't be a full topic in and of itself. This also is the, uh, we just passed on November 18th, the 50th anniversary of the GameCube. Another underperforming Nintendo console. That's looked at pretty fondly at this point. Had pretty cool controllers. Uh, The library, I think was better without even knowing too much about the GameCube uh, library. I'll go out and say that the library in the GameCube was better than the 64's library. Uh, obviously they, they went to optical media, which was fucking fantastic. Uh, you know, five, six years too late Nintendo, but you did it. Uh, but you know, you had your, your Game Boy Advance adapter on there. Uh, which I, th- well, I guess was cool. You know, you can find, you can find that little disc. Uh, and it enjoyed a little nice little life. It was available. For six years. Six years it was available. <laughs> the Wii U 4. Uh, and where's my pat math? The GameCube sold, we'll just say, close to 22 million. And that was considered a failure for Nintendo. At 22 million, the GameCube was considered. Not a big failure, but a minor failure. We're not talking Virtual Boy-esque failure, but it's a minor failure. So to go from 22 to 13.36 and that ain't going to hit 13 and a half or, or even 14. We'll just say it hits 13 and a half. So that's a drop. Pat math of, let's see, seven, 
That's a drop of, holy shit, it's a 30% drop. Oh, excuse me. That's a, that's a 50% drop, right? No, 35%. Yeah, pat me up. 35% drop in sales of GameCube versus the uh, Wii U. And if you go from Wii to Wii U, it was a fucking 90% close drop. Whatever, 87% if you want to get technical or something like that. It was, it was a fucking lot. It was a huge drop. It was huge, that drop, from the Wii to Wii U. Um, I gotta, I gotta expand my, my GameCube library. This segment's going all over the fucking place. This is why it'd be nice to have Ian here to keep me on track when I'm this tired. I gotta play more of the, the GameCube library. I still haven't played through, uh, Star Fox, uh, on, on the, excuse me, on the GameCube. I haven't played through most of it. Uh, I've played a good amount of the Smash on it, and that's still really popular in this, in the competitive gaming, uh, scene, uh, there. And then uh, Super Mario Sunshine, I have that laying around. I got to play that. Um, I got to play uh, well, let's see, the Zelda game on there. I got to play the one that came out on both the GameCube uh, and the Wii. I believe I have both versions on that. Uh, Twilight Princess. I got to play that still. And I have I have like little little fun ones like Wave Race uh, on there, and then the F Zero, which I don't think I've ever played the F Zero on GameCube. So I got to get around to doing that. And I have some other weird ones out there. That I can't remember right now. I think I have Beautiful Joe. Is that on GameCube? Am I making that up? I have, a, I have about I only have about twenty or twenty five games. You know, all all the uh, the classics, all the the uh, the standard titles. You know, the the big ones that came out, mostly first party. Which again was the problem with the GameCube and the N sixty four and the Wii to an extent, and it's definitely the Wii U. So okay, so the Wii U is going bye bye. Prepare to see them at your flea market next year. I mean, hell, you see the Wii's at your flea market right now for ten or twelve dollars, and the Wii U's are a little bit more than that. They're like thirty or forty or fifty at this point, sixty. Uh, give it two years, they'll be twenty bucks as well. When everyone uh, goes over to the Switch, what desire? All right, shut up, Pat. Moving on. I want to uh, thank everyone for the positive reaction feedback to the retro GameStop initiative story that I guess I broke. Pat, uh, breaking news. Where it was a former person at GameStop corporate went behind the scenes and said everything that was wrong with the retro game initiative. Uh, revealing you know the lack of training for the people working at the refurb center. Not testing games. Ready to throw out games that they didn't test to work with a by cleaning with a Q-tip, uh, not testing to see if games were the proper games that matched the label when they turned it on, counterfeits, etc., etc. So, that's a that's a big deal to me. And I hope this picks up steam. And I hope that GameStop corporate, they might not care, they answer to stockholders, but I hope they realize that there is such thing as business ethics. And it's not good even though the retro game community and hobbyists is one or two or three or four percent of their their potential audience in terms of the sales you, you still should do good business you sh- you still should try have some pro have some pride you should still try so i received another email and this won't be another 20 minute topic thankfully but someone who will remain nameless i'll keep their identity hidden they followed up with an email 
adding a little bit more about, about what goes on at GameStop with these retro games or what potentially could affect these retro games. Here's the email. Hi, Pat. I found the segment from the insider of the Retro Game Initiative incredibly interesting on your last episode. I have been listening to your coverage on this issue very closely, and there is one concern that I have that has not been brought up yet. I am from... And I'm a former manager of GameStop. Okay, I was technically called the senior game advisor, not the manager, but a manager. Your insider gave a very good look at the corporate approach to this initiative, but not much from the storefront. I was not employed during the rollout of the retro initiative, but I can tell you from what, what I've seen and experienced from an employee standpoint, this could be more destructive to the retro collecting market than has been discussed before. Uh-oh, strap in. GameStop does not take a very respect, respectful approach to the products as we have seen. For example, we were ordered to remove all DS games from their cases and throw the cases out for the sake of space. When DS games were traded in with the case, we were to throw the case out once the transaction was complete. If new games came in, for example, Chrono Trigger, this one bothered me pretty bad, we were to open it, throw out the case, and sell only the cartridge. I assume we got those games to sell as used because GameStop bought out some mom-and-pop store somewhere. I assure you they came to a sealed but labeled as used by the company. This devalues and lowers collectability of these titles. I hated doing that. Who is to say they won't do that with complete in-box rep- retro titles they receive? All right, Pat here. Um, so far, fortunately, there's been no evidence that they've been throwing out boxes and manuals of retro games uh, with this initiative as they've come in. When the games were still new, like DS games, I think they were in a different spot. They can get away with throwing out the cases then. Uh, they can't with these older games. And from what people have been saying, it's been a crapshoot. But when you order a game on GameStop, and this, and they've said this themselves, GameStop, to their credit, right, you order a game, it's all priced the same as you know loose cart only. And if you get the box and or manual, then it's lucky you, you got it. But there's no guarantee. Back to the story. And this is where I'm concerned about, and this person's. This is not the worst of my concerns, though. When people returned accessories that were supposedly defective, Instead of testing them, these items were put into a box in the back and the district manager would come once a month and smash them with a hammer. And let that sink in. I kid you not, he would smash them with a literal hammer. Some items were brand new and some the company just decided they didn't want to carry anymore. We were not allowed to take anything out of the, out of the field uh, destroy box, which I guess is where they kept them all, uh, even if we knew it worked fine, which to me is insane. This is Pat here. That's insane. If you know stuff works, why wouldn't you take it out? This behavior by a company who is now selling and trading retro items, of which there are limited quantities, concerns me deeply. What happens if a person buys, for example, an SNES controller and goes to return it in store claiming it's defective? Whether it is or not, it can probably be repaired. But given my experience in GameStop's history, it would likely be smashed with a hammer later that month and thrown in the garbage. What happens when GameStop decides to cancel the retro initiative? We saw this happen with their used phone and tablet initiative. They rolled it out nationwide after some focus testing, tried it for a couple years, then scrapped it because it was too much work. Will they just destroy the items they have collected? Will this put a large dent in the available items for collectors if they are destroyed? Smashed with hammers? When I first heard that GameStop was trying the retro initiative, it instantly made me fearful for the collecting community. They are not a video game retailer first. They are a corporate Fortune 500 company. They care not at all for video game quality or preservation. We see it time and time again. 
thousands of PS2 titles first decased, then trashed when they decided they were they were done selling them. And not all were sports titles. I remember throwing out a copy of Chulip, a game that is now listed on Amazon for 50 to $80. Their destructive and wasteful practices bothered me deeply when I worked there and bother me still now that they have dug into the retro market. Whether you decide to talk about this or not on the podcast, it was bothering me and I had to tell you. Thank you for all your hard work and I love the podcast. Sincerely, name redacted by Pat. We, we've mentioned it before. Ian has mentioned that there is this sort of and not necessarily at the individual stores, but but this person does bring up a great point about what if you return a, a console that you got in the mail, because ninety percent of the stuff is you, you retro games that are mailed to you uh, versus in the store. What if you return the console? What if you return the accessory? And yes, what if you say that it doesn't work when it does? You just want your money back, and they, th- and they destroy it and throw it out. That's awful. That is awful. But what Ian brought up before, and I thought about. What happens when this retro initiative, what happens if it goes belly goes belly up? And all of a sudden, you have GameStop down in Texas. Uh, their warehouse is sitting on thousands and thousands, maybe 10,000 or more retro games, maybe more, along with a bunch of consoles. You hope then, for the sake of you know, the, the community and preservation, that, yeah, they don't toss all these games out, some which might be rare. Maybe there's a rare console there that they received by accident or, or controller. You hope that they then go to their handy-dandy Rolodex, if they still use it, and contact their wholesaler, the one or two they still use that sells on eBay, uh, which I'd like to find out who they are. You hope that they at least give them a deal that they'll make a ton of money on it, but at least they, they'll go through it themselves, the wholesaler. Um, they'll go through what works, they'll clean, repair, and they'll sell it all, get it back into the community to keep keep the prices down, and to not destroy stuff that, that shouldn't be destroyed. That just makes me sick. So thanks for the email, and hopefully GameStop is doing the right thing. I mean, according to the other person, they do monitor all the social media stuff. So uh, hopefully they hear this and realize, that, hey, well, we don't want to hate on you totally, GameStop. We want you just to do the right thing, not just for your own company, but for your customers. And I think it, a little more hard work and expenditure will go a long way with goodwill, not the goodwill store, but with goodwill towards your customers. You can make a little less profit, but do a lot of good at the same time and live with yourself if you want to do that. Then again, it's a Fortune 500 company. Maybe they don't want to live with themselves. Who knows? All right, this came out. This was good news for retro game preservation. Some good news, thankfully. So you've heard us at Teleview, right? So Satellaview was in Japan, and it was a subscription service uh, for the Super Famicom, Super Nintendo, if you want to call it. Uh, it was a it was a, a satellite modem. That's where Satella comes from. Let's see. I'm looking on uh, Wikipedia. Right, this it came out in '95, uh, and it came bu- bundled with a game pack and a memory pack. Uh, so there were broad stuff was broadcast that you logged on to. I'm not an expert on this. But you were, it, you, it was possible to download games onto the cartridge from online. So then you played the game on that cartridge. And then once you were done or downloaded it, once you download a new game, uh, that memory was erased. Uh, that's where the bad part comes in here. Because there were a lot of downloadable titles that came out that were hard to preserve because of this. There was a link to the past game that 
you can only play on Satellaview that for years and years no one can get a hold of at the time. So that was obviously not good news for people either who were fans of uh, video game preservation or Legend of Zelda. Like, that's, that's just not good. They did other stuff. They did, like, little uh, broadcasts. They did contests, things of that nature. So why I'm bringing this up is because we fortunately are closer to getting some of these downloadable titles that Nintendo made available only on Satellaview. We're getting closer to preserving these more and more. Usually this stuff comes up, these uh, these uh, carts that came out came with the uh, Satellaview, usually these come up in auction. Uh, but at this point, 20 years later, after you know the, the server's been shut off, you know, well, it was not shut off, it was shut off in uh, early 2000s. All right, it was still around. Wow, it was still around by then. You don't know how many of these are, how many games are around anymore. How many of these ROMs are still, you know, active on these, on these, on this flash memory. And so these come up on Yahoo uh, auction since there there really is no eBay in Japan. When you get these, you don't know what's going to be on there. What game is going to be on there? It's unless they somehow have a Super Famicom and testing it and see what's on there. But usually that's not going to happen. So the good news is an auction just came, came about where there were Kirby games. I had no idea there were Kirby games, Satellaview games at all. These were considered lost until this week. This is an Ars Technica article that was brought to my attention. So an auction came about with not one, two, three, four, four Kirby uh, minigames from a collection of six that were made only available on on the Satellaview. Um, It was Kirby's Toy Box. I, this is the first I'm, I'm hearing about this. So this was released uh, on the Satellaview February 8th, 1996. Okay? Uh, Kirby's Toy Box series was broadcast over Nintendo's first form of digital distribution, the Satellaview Network. And depending on when the player connects the network, different games were available at different times. So it's not like you were downloading the collection of minigames. You were getting one out of these. Just the one. So, there were six of these. Oh, there's more than six. Let's see. According to this wiki here. You had a baseball minigame. You had a pinball. Uh, sort of a breakout clone called Star Break. Uh, balls Round and Round. Uh, a game called Cannonball. These are like single screen games. Uh, a, sort of a uh, bagatelle game called Arranging Balls. Uh, a pachinko game. Uh, ball rallies. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So as far as I know, uh, I've never seen these played. I don't know if these are even on YouTube, some of these. That's how hard it is to find these games at this point. Or or, or get them preserved. So this auction came up where a guy had four of these for, for sale. And he had them identified. That's a big deal. It wasn't just, okay, these are random... Satellaview cartridges with who knows what's on them. Could be nothing, could be a game. Uh, guy had four of them. So the four that were for auction were a circular ball, cannonball, pachinko, and a range ball on four different cartridges. Again, it was a crapshoot, what you got on the cartridge. And as a crapshoot, you, 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 you would have had to have downloaded these games and never downloaded another game from the network to play. That's what's amazing, that these four came up for auction by one seller. The odds of this happening are, are so small. So what happened was, I saw a tweet from uh, 
my friend and game preservationist, uh, Frank Cifaldi, who's on lostlevels.org. So he wanted to raise money to get these so he can get them and dump the ROMs and preserve these. So uh, Frank Cifaldi and a preservationist named Matthew Callis sought out donations, um, and they won all four. They raised money, and they won all four cartridges. This to me is a, a low price. Hopefully, thankfully, no assholes out there who are going to hold these ROMs hostage knew about this, uh, which I'll get to in a second. They won all four for $813, roughly. Uh, 8500 85,500 yen. So, so that doesn't mean that this is all the Kirby games on Satellaview. They're still missing ones. But you're getting a little bit closer to filling in the gaps. Now, you wish Nintendo would release these. Obviously, Nintendo has these somewhere in the vault. You wish they would at least have these available. They won't. But at least they are they are preserved. It's not for the public. I mean, that's sort of the weird... This is These aren't lost games. These are games that Nintendo has. They're just figured, well, no one either wants them or there's no advantage to us in the marketplace of putting them out there. I mean, hell... They could put out a set of mini games and put them on their, you know, 3DS for sale, virtual console, whatever, on the Wii U or the Switch coming up and sell them. Maybe this would help up spur our monitor's interest. I don't know. I'm interested in playing Kirby mini game, mini games. Who cares? Or goofy little games, but who cares? It could be fun. So that's that's the the good news. So they're going to get these ROMs and dump them. They're not going to hold them hostage for years. They're not going to say, "Well, I got to make my money back on the money I, I paid for these, so uh, I can only release these games." Uh, the way they were meant to be on a Super Famicom card. No, they're not doing that. They're not scum fucks. They're real preservationists. They care about video game history and finding games that are either, are either lost to the annals of time or not readily available like these. Hell, this is the first I'm hearing these games existed. So they're teaching me here as we're going along and teaching lots of other people that there's games out here that are even lost or unplayed from the big Nintendo company, the big N as it's called. So, the issue that we brought up before, though, with games like this, is that this will become more and more common in, in growing in years to come when so many more games that come out now are tied to servers online. I mean, fortunately, with with these games, you had people that, again, it's almost a miracle that one person had four different of uh, these Teleview games on different carts and kept them. Maybe they were a collector, who knows. It's a minor miracle. But in the future, you're going to have games just sitting around on old PS3s and PS4s and Xbox 360s that will be gone and not available anywhere else. Small indie titles, for example. Or even some larger games that need to connect to a server to play. So, hopefully preservationists figure all that out. And hopefully um, they get the exemptions that they can get away with uh through the copyright laws in order to replicate those servers and the games needed to be played only on those, you know, basically clone servers to play these games that aren't available anymore for sale. But that's where we're headed. Xbox uh, 360s, 10 years old already. PS3 is, uh, was it 2006, 2007? Nine years old, the system. It's coming up quicker than you think. And we'll get to that point where it'll be hard to find a functioning... Uh, Functioning console that has that one specific game that only sold, you know, like a thousand of them, for example. Remember Flappy Bird? Remember how Flappy Bird, they took that off the market for a while, the guy took it off the market? Then then phones with the game on it were selling for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It's not a joke. They were for, like, whatever, that month or two. If you want to play Flappy Bird. 
Not saying you're going to get there with consoles. There is that chance, though, that 10 years from now on the podcast when I'm 75 years old, we'll be talking about that PS3 console with that one game that no one downloaded at the time. Maybe it sucked, maybe it didn't, but you can't play it anywhere except because it's still on that console. And that's it. Oh, my God, we cannot get away from the NES Classic Edition, can we? So the NES Classic Edition comes out. The world rejoices. I rejoice. Fun little system, right? So, people are complaining about the controller on the NES Classic Edition. Rightfully, and maybe a little wrongfully so, I think there's a a couple of uh, ways you can look at this. Again, the NES Classic Edition... Uh, right here. You need the reset button to be close to you, because that's the... Uh, the main menu button to save your game, load a save state, go to the options, and to change the game. So it is important to have that handy. Doesn't totally excuse the two-and-a-half-foot controller cord, but hey, whatever. But there are third-party controllers out there, and there are even third-party controller extensions you can buy. So what caught my attention, though, was a company, company named Emio. Capital E, capital M, lowercase i, uppercase O. Emio, Emio, or Emio, whatever. They have the Edge Gamepad, which is an NES controller that hooks to the NES Classic Edition, has a 9-foot cable, has turbo buttons. And they also have a cool-looking NES Advantage type, the Emio Edge Joystick. And it's a, you know, NES Classic Edition joystick. It, it looks like the same mold. Has the turbo buttons, has the dials. $24.99 uh, for their Advantage joystick, style joystick. And then the, the turbo NES controller goes for $14.99. All right? So these sold pretty well uh, when the NES Classic Edition first came out. These aren't the only third-party products. There's a Nyko wireless controller out there. Other other companies are trying to cash in, and why wouldn't they? You know, um, these are controllers that they were either since since it's the same uh, uh, dongle as uh, the Wii and Wii U, uh, why not? You know, why not? You know, you can plug it in. If you, if you can plug it into a Wii mote, you can plug it into your NES Classic Edition and have it work. Well, not in all cases here. And by the way, there is that NES Classic Edition carrying case, which I think is cute. I actually picked up that little thing for 20 bucks. <laughs> but here's the problem with these controllers. These companies, and particularly this Emio company, assumed that because it was compatible before with the uh, a Wii, it would be compatible with the NES Classic Edition, but it turns out it's not. They didn't look into the hardware, the total hardware differences here uh, with these. So... I'll get into why I'm going over this. Who cares? Third-party uh, controllers. They didn't think about it. But these are in stores. Like, these aren't just like... If you search in, let's see, Emeo Edge Joystick. These aren't just available online. You can, you can walk into stores and find these. These are stocked. Let's see. If I click on shopping... Let's see. Where can I buy? I can buy these. Yeah, you can buy it at Best Buy. Even though it's out of stock, it was in stock before. Companies have to do a better job of testing these. These are obviously rushed out the door without having plugged one in to an NES Class Edition. These were not plugged in and tested at all. 
because I wanted them on the shelf on November 11th to sell. Otherwise, they could lose out, and the company might, another company might come out with it. You know. Let's let's be honest. The reason people are buying this, it looks like a fucking NES controller. They ain't buying this right now for the the Wii or Wii U. They're buying it for the NES Classic Edition, and especially a joystick, a joystick that looks like an advantage. We're we're way past the days where people are giving a shit about the virtual console or the Wii U eShop. That's gone. So the Emeo Edge Gamepad, one star, thirteen reviews. I won't go through the entire reviews. I'll just say on the top what it says. And again, these, this is a this is a product that has not been around for years and years and years. The release date was October 25th. They were gearing up for the NES Classic Edition to come out. They were prepared. October 25th, the same for the Edge joystick. These aren't these have not been around for years. These were. They, they, they brought these out specifically for the NES Classic Edition for all intents and purposes. And I'll get into another reason why in a second where, that, where that's evident. So 1.2 out of 5 stars, 13 reviews for the, game, the Turbo uh, NES pad. Defective controller might be widespread. Not compatible with my system. These are just the top lines of the reviews. Defective even when bought from a store brand new. This person bought it at Walmart, returned it. Do not buy. Don't work out of the box, but read this to see how to get an adapter to fix it. Uh-oh. They might have an adapter for sale a month after release. Do not buy these controllers. Scrolling malfunction. One star. I bought two of these from Walmart. Walmart. Neither work. That's a regular control pad. Let's let's go to the Edge joystick. Let's see how if it's much better. 1.3 out of 5 stars. 32 reviews. Not compatible with the NAS Classic Edition. Emeo's rebranding failure. Why it could have been great. Does not work for NES Classic Mini. One star. It's true. This does not work. One star. Waves at 25 bucks. Bummer. Real quality MicroSwitch joystick for virtual console games. Wii and Wii U only. So obviously they, re- they rebranded their controllers in the past. They assumed it was going to work with the NES Classic Edition and rushed it out. They didn't test it at all. Falling off the edge. Do not buy. One star. One star. Do not buy. Almost like the console doesn't recognize the controller. Holy shit, what a disaster. The good news, though, is that almost a month after these were in stores, I guess Emeo got themselves an NES Classic Edition or saw the tons of reviews and returns that were happening and tried this controller themselves with an NES Classic Edition and saw it didn't work. So what they're doing is now offering a free NES gift pack where you can get, uh, you show them a uh, receipt that you purchased the item, they'll send you an adapter to get this working uh, with the NES Classic Edition. And that's good. They, they sort of salvage an awful, awful time in PR. I don't know if they're going to recover this, but at least they're trying to, they're trying to uh, make it up to you. Uh, a free NES Classic Edition adapter, a free cable, and a free surprise gift, a $30 value. Uh, this offer only applies to qualifying customers. So they're trying to make it right, this company. They should never put this out first. They claim that they claim that the batches went out without this adapter inside of it. They claim that. I don't know if that's the truth. They probably didn't realize this was going to work and took a big crap shoot that came up. Snake eyes, that's my opinion. I definitely based on it, but that's what I think that happened. I think they just put this out there not realizing this did not work. So why, Pat, am I dwelling, or you're asking, why, Pat, are you dwelling on this third-party controller that did a shoddy job getting out there and working with a product it was rebranded for? 
when all with, with all intents and purposes, it looks like it's actually a well put together joystick. Why am I bringing this up? Well, I'm bringing it up because of what this thing came with inside. <laughs> this came packaged with a cheat guide, classic cheat codes edition, tips and tricks. With your, this came with the Edge joystick. So it basically featured the 30 NES Classic Edition games with cheat codes. This was not done well. This uh, cheat guide. There's problems on here, and I'm gonna go thank my good old Atari age guys for pointing this out. There's there's a few problems. I don't. I wish I had this in my hand to look at all the problems. But the first problem that pops up is, for example, there's Mega Man artwork on the cover. It shows uh, the Yellow Devil, who does not appear on any game that's included with the NES Classic Edition. He was in the original Mega Man, correct? Uh, Mega Man 2 comes with the NES Classic Edition. That's the first problem. Uh, and this is just a few pages that were posted on Atari Age. But I'll give you an example of the quality. This is just on like the first two pages. Uh, it points out that while the Famicom used 60 pins, the NES Game Packs had 70 pins. It's actually 72. That's, that, that's alright. That, that's okay. That's okay. Um, the Super C Contra code uh, they said gives you 30 lives in this uh, little cheat guide. It does not give you 30 lives. It gives you 10 and it's not the same Konami code anyway. It's it's a different code. It's, it's an absolutely different code. It's not up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA. It's uh... Right, left, down, up, A, B. So that, they got the effect wrong. It's not, it's not, that's not the Konami code. The Konami code, code is the famous up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, left, right, B, A. So they got that wrong, they got the code wrong. Okay. We're not starting off on good footing here. At all. But then it gets better. Uh, allegedly, they had the box art in this little cheat guy that comes with this joystick. The box art for Tecmo Bowl is Tecmo Super Bowl. That's just inexcusable to screw that up. Like, 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 how could they do that? That's just, that's just, now, now, okay, what's going on here? Well, if you go to Atari Age, you can see example of the first couple pages. You can't make this up. You can't fucking, you, you can't make it up. So this Emio branded cheat code book that came with this joystick that does, that did not work and they're trying to fix the problem. If you look at who put this together, uh, I'll keep the editor-in-chief, layout and design person, and artwork person. Um, we'll keep them secret. But it's a retro video game magazine publication with the website shopreadretro.com attached. You can't fucking make this shit up. This codebook... With false information, incorrect box art, bad codes, was done by Mike Kennedy's company. <laughs> uh, the Clinical Chameleon Mastermind struck again. We can't go three months without him not coming up here. Now the page, thank God, thank you Atari H for having these, for, for, for having screenshots of this. On the balloon fight page, it gets better. On the balloon fight page, there is uh, a tip, the edge tip, because that's how the, the the joystick's branded. Edge tip. 
Enable auto fire on your edge controller. Then hold rather than mash the float button to stay adrift. Well, that would be fine. There's two problems with that. One, that would be fine if your controller that this was included with actually fucking worked on your NES Classic Edition. And for the multitudes of people that first bought it within the first first month, it doesn't fucking work. And who knows that they're going to eventually package that adapter they're mailing people. Who knows that they're eventually going to package that with the uh, joysticks going out in the future. We don't fucking know that. But for most of the people that read this, the joystick doesn't fucking work. But the masterminds behind this didn't realize that Balloon Fight has a built-in turbo function already. It's called the fucking B button. The A button flaps you once. The B button is a built-in turbo function that Nintendo put in for you so your tip doesn't even fucking matter and you don't need your turbo function on your non-functioning joystick to have a turbo Balloon Fight function. Holy shit! Oh my... I don't I should be be laughing or crying at this right now. I think I'm the first one to point this out to Atari agent. I don't think they realize that. My God. You, you can't... You can't make it up. God, I wish Ian... Ian, God, I wish you were here. I hope I hope this heals you from your health woes. Holy shit. Oh, did I get that wrong? Did I reverse the buttons? No, it's B. I, th- I thought I, I thought I was wrong. At least I knew one button was was a uh, no. B B is a turbo A flaps you once, and B is very useful. It's actually very useful for the balloon trip mode C, which Ian loves. Um, it's very useful for that. Probably more so than the regular game, in my opinion. But anyway, uh, there you have it. Again, it's not it's not the fucking company's fault putting out the joystick that they had a shitty publication included with it that wasn't proofread or whatever. It is their fault, though, they put out a joystick they didn't test with the NES Classic Edition. That is their fault. But the whole thing's just, it's fucking hysterical, and you can't make this shit up. All right. Not sure how much I'm going to go over this topic, uh, but there was a vagina in Watch Dogs uh, 2. I'm trying not to make a light of this. This is just silly. First off, Watch Dogs 2 is rated M for Mature for violence and nudity and adult-themed shit going on uh, already. So, uh, someone online was banned uh, from the PlayStation Network. Because, you know, PlayStation Network, you could you could share screenshots, you can share video. I think you could, you, there's Twitch built into that. So, there was exposed genitalia of a woman, like, on the ground with... Of a, a vagina. It wasn't panties. It wasn't like a blank, like Barbie doll, where there's like nothing there. Don't ask me how I knew that. I was a five year old pat playing with Barbie dolls. What? But there was, uh, you know, there was a vagina there. I'm not going to get into all the different parts of that, you know, phys ed class or whatever else. But it was there on an NPC model. Uh, and and Ubisoft developers of other game publisher, they they apologized. Even though this is a mature game, they're not even sure, I guess, or they're not clear that that was meant to be in the game, but now that people found out about it, they're looking to change it. Sort of like the hot coffee and the uh, and the you know the sex mod that was taken out of Vice City. You know, they programmed it in, and then it was a hidden feature, then it went to fucking Congress or some controversial bullshit. Anyway, they're trying... Uh, Ubisoft doesn't want this to be a, to take away from the attention, the positive attention of the game. The game's getting pretty good reviews here. They apologize. They're going to update that model. 
uh, and patch it and make it more consistent with other NPC models. The one I saw, I don't know if she was a, a prostitute, but she was like passed out on the ground. Yeah, you can see you can see her hoo ha up her skirt uh, there. Uh, so uh, what? I'm trying. I'm trying not to make this a cultural conversation about how ass backwards and puritanical U.S. culture is when it comes to nudity versus ultra violence, but it has to go in that direction. Sony bans a guy for sharing a texture of a vagina in a video game. Not even a not even a real picture of a, of a vagina, but a texture of one. Now, I understand that, you know, you want your social environment on your game console to be kid-friendly and everything else. But if content's already protected by mature audience and you know you're watching, you're sharing Watch Dogs 2 stuff, shouldn't that barrier be there already so that kids are safe from that? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Um, You would think that would be in place. But a game that features... Shooting people in the head. It's basically, uh, you know, a GTA type game, open world. You can cause havoc with your phone. You hack, you hack the world. You can cause cars to run into fucking bystanders. Do whatever the fuck you want. You can kill people in broad daylight and cold blood. You know that's okay. You can fucking, you know, blow someone to bits. You know, like in fucking Narc, their head comes off. You know, do all that shit. That's fine. Share all those photos. Share that gruesome shit. You're okay, but. You know, you share a fucking part of someone's body, a texture of a model in a game. Oh, that then the whole fucking world's coming unglued. Holy shit. Holy shit. Not a, not a fake vagina. What are we going to do with ourselves? I guess if you ought, if you were playing this game by accident and streaming on Twitch, Switch, Twitch could have the right to ban you as well because they don't allow sort of nudity, even video game nudity on Twitch. But the whole, whole world's got fucking mad as far as I'm concerned when it comes to this. I don't know why Ubisoft uh, felt the need to do it. Again, if, if this is how they meant for the game to be, then there's no I have no problem with it artistically. To, you know, a passed out player on the ground or whatever, or I don't know, maybe he knocked her on the head because, I don't know, maybe you can do that and look up the, look up the hoo-hahs. I have no idea. But the, the, the whole point is that I don't think Ubisoft should have to apologize if this is how they meant the game to be. This is how they designed the game. It's a mature game. They're not hiding the fact that you can fucking kill people whenever you want, and that's okay, but you can't see uh, a hoonanny on a woman in the game. I, I, it's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And <clears throat> uh, 2010 roster games included a brief scene with full frontal male nudity that didn't shy away from showing the character's penis, according to this Venture Beat article. <sighs> Players even claim that Ubisoft included textures for women's genitals in its Far Cry Primal prehistoric action adventure earlier this year. So, they've done this before. They meant to do this. They probably said, oh, who cares? This is what we're doing. And now people are getting pissed off about it. And then you click on the image, uh, and you see it, and you're like, who cares? Uh, And now, yeah, they've sort of hacked it to now showing a girl with panties on instead. Yay! Yay! Yay for political correctness or whatever. You know, or, or kids. We don't want kids to be damaged potentially by a game that, you know, you're shooting people in the fucking genitalia. We don't want you to actually be able to see that genitalia, but you can fucking cut it off with a machete and shoot it with a fucking rocket launcher and drive into it with your 74 uh, Buick. 
All right. Um, quick on the video game awards that Jeff Keighley helped produce. I think does a pretty good job for what it, you know. They're walking that line with always with these video game awards. With uh, is it an award show? Is it advertising for these game companies? Yes, that's the answer. But they need someone to sponsor and fund these these fucking shows, you know. And, and it's not like the Academy Awards where you have the a separate Academy that does it. So at least the Academy Awards isn't fucking running trailers for game, uh, for, excuse me, trailers for movies during the, during the Oscars. But you got to put up with that with the Video Game Awards, whatever. It's kind of slimy, but you have to deal with it. So the Game Awards recently pulled two Nintendo fan projects from its nominations list, uh, prompting questions about Nintendo's influence over the event from Eurogamer. I like Eurogamer. So they nominated uh, a couple games that we talked about, one in detail, uh, Pokemon Uranium. Uh, was up for an award for fan game, <clears throat> as well as Project AM2R, another Metroid 2 remake, where they took the Game Boy game and sort of made it Super Nintendo style. So, uh, Project Uranium, we spoke about you know in the podcast before, who's out sick, by the way. I have to re- reiterate that for the YouTube audience. Um, we marveled at the fact that this game was so well done, but we're disappointed in the fact that they didn't go that extra even quarter mile to change the assets enough and names of, of creatures and trademark sort of Pokeball and the name itself in order to create their own game. Would it have gotten the same amount of attention? No, it would have not. But at least they could have had more solid footing in legality sense to putting this game out, making money, supporting maybe a burgeoning company to put out more games that obviously people want because was it one and a half million people downloaded Pokemon Uranium. Now, obviously, with the Metroid 2 remake, a straight remake, eh, that's a little bit uh, more dicey there, or a lot more dicey, because it's kind of hard to take out the assets of a remake and have it be your own thing without, you know, you can't do that. I understand that. So, Nintendo hasn't commented about what happened here, why they pulled these out of the fan. (laughs) I mean, it's obvious, I'll get into it. Uh, Why the fan projects have been pulled out of the nomination here. Um for best fan of creation. But it's been noted Nintendo America boss Reggie Fizame uh, he's on the advisory board of the event. <laughs> so there's no way on God's green earth I will get a Nintendo Switch in my hands tomorrow before a show that Nintendo is helping put together is going to feature Nintendo fan games that they shut down. That's just not happening. That back over there. It would have sent a bad message saying, hey guys, it's okay. We are honoring people that are stealing our copyrighted and trademark material and making games. Yay. They couldn't do that even if they wanted to, even to be cute about it. They just their lawyers would their lawyers would put them in a chokehold before they would allow that. Their lawyers would, would send their own SWAT team after Nintendo, even if Nintendo wanted to. You can't do that. You have to control your copyright and trademarks when you're a company that big at all costs. You just can't do that. And that's not to say privately Nintendo's like, oh, this is really fucking awesome. We love these games in private. Hell, there's some good ideas in this Pokemon Uranium game. Maybe we can use that in our new uh, Sun and Moon game. That, that's immaterial. They just can't publicly endorse or state that these games are okay. And let alone on a fucking award show. 
that would just open up Pandora's box of everyone else putting out their own fan games, and then Nintendo would have less of a legal uh, grounding in order to come out against those games, because they could say, whoa, you didn't come out against these games of the award show. In fact, you you helped them get an award, or you spotlighted them. Nintendo can't do that. It ain't going to happen. My question is, is how it got that far. How did Nintendo allow them to be included in the nomination process uh, to get that far in the first place and now having to deal with this bullshit again where Nintendo looks like the bad guy for the eighth time this year when it comes to fan creations. Jeff Keighley might have some explaining to do there, how it got this far. You, you, you think, at what point were they like, oh yeah, those, those fan games Nintendo shut down? Yeah, yeah, it, it totally put them on the, on the award show that Nintendo is helping, uh, helping us with. You know, and, and all the, yeah, and it's showing advertisements during the show. Yeah, they're going to be cool with the fan games getting nominated and or winning. They'll be cool with that. Holy shit. That, it's just... Again, I'm not saying these, these games don't deserve awards, or they're not good, or maybe Nintendo can honor them in some way 10 years from now, or hell, best thing to do is maybe, maybe um, bring some of these creators on board and give them a job, potentially. You know, maybe that could be a good... Uh, uh, reward at some point for their work but you, you can't but you can't honor them publicly you just, they just can't do that they just can't they can't do that they just can't they're not Sega <laughs> people are going to be why are you attacking Sega I'm not attacking Sega I'm saying Nintendo has to do this they're not they're not in Sega's position that's all the conversation all the conversation we'll get into that those weird fucking comments again from that Sega fan game that I saw holy shit um. So yeah, they did a bad job because now there's only two. There's only two games left for best fan creation: Brutal Doom '64 and Ender All: The Shards of Order. That's gonna be an awkward awards uh, nomination by the. This, and the nominees are well, there's only two, and I can't say why the other two are gone, but it's Nintendo's fault. And I'm sure Nintendo didn't want to do this. Like they're, like they're like, holy shit, can we get can we get past Thanksgiving, having a nice Thanksgiving without? us being reminded of how everyone hates our guts when it comes to fan projects. Like, Nintendo is like, you gotta be kidding me. We thought we were past the uh, Pokemon Uranium and, and this uh, Metroid 2 remake. Now we gotta deal with this bullshit again? They ain't happy about this. You know, now it's gonna be brought up that night and get and be more with it. Just like uh, uh, Hideo Kojima last year. That embarrassment, how Konami would have let the guy fucking show up. And now I think they're doing good this year. Good on them. They're having Kojima come out this year and honoring him this year. So there you go. This is a positive spin. Uh, on companies, uh, you know, <laughs> having a stranglehold, and then eventually the award show uh, doing right by it. But yeah, it ain't gonna happen with these games, not at all. Talk some wrestling here. Uh, Survivor Series was last night. Uh, Billy Goldberg fought uh fought uh Brock Lesnar. Lesnar's been a part timer now in WWE for oh my god, it's been five years since he's been a part timer. He had his uh his one or two championship runs where he defended the title like three times in like six, seven months. You know, uh and I have differing opinions. I think Brock's a really good worker most of the time. He's a viable monster, an actual threat. Ian sort of turned around on that. Uh breaking the streak was a great decision that gave him top sort of heel status or at least top threat status for years to come and then squashing that long squash uh, match at SummerSlam a couple years ago with John Cena. I thought it was brilliant booking. Again, Ian disagreed on that, but it set him up as this big monster. The other monster is Bill Goldberg. 
was he 49 years old, still in fantastic shape, trains in mixed martial arts, trains in Muay Thai, I think, Jiu-Jitsu. And he was into that stuff a little bit even in the late 90s, early 2000s when he wrestled full-time. Bill Goldberg hasn't wrestled since 2004. WrestleMania 20, Madison Square Garden versus Brock Lesnar. I was there. I saw that match. And it wasn't as bad as everyone said it was. Everyone knew it was uh, Goldberg's last match. Uh, his contract was up for his year contract. Lesnar was trying to try his hand at football. He got, I think, I think he got on the Vikings practice squad. But he wanted out after being in WWE for two years at that point. Um, so the crowd turned on the match, knowing that these guys weren't sticking around. Uh, if you probably watched that match on mute or without the crowd noise, it probably isn't as bad as what you would think. I remember watching in person. I think it was horrible when I watched it in person. I mean, it wasn't a five-star match, but it wasn't a train wreck either. Then again, you know, this was 12 years ago. <clears throat> so Goldberg comes back. They had their stare down. They're going to fight each other. Goldberg wants to be a superhero for the kids again. That was his, uh, that's his sort of shtick right now. Saying, oh, I'll be a superhero for my kids. His kids at ringside is like 10-year-old kid is... His, uh, his wife's been at ringside for all his his Raw events. So, the match happens at Survivor Series. I saw it on the WWE Network. And, you know, I didn't know what to expect going into this match. I, I knew it wasn't going to be like the WrestleMania match, which was like, I don't know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. That Stone Cold, by the way, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Austin refereed at WrestleMania 20. But I didn't think they were going to do a, a quick squash. A quick beat the guy in a minute 30 match which is what they did so the match plays out with the stare down they ring the bell Goldberg um, and Brock in the center of the ring now this was I think was clever they sort of started the match similarly to other Goldberg matches what he does you know he double he does a double leg sort of on the guy carries the guy to the post and then tries to maul the guy in the corners with you know elbows and knees and whatever. I mean, that's how he squashed John Cena two years ago at SummerSlam. He smashed Cena in the corner, you know, to start, and then just started suplexing the shit out of him. So what he does here is he backs Goldberg up into the corner. They have their stare down there. Goldberg pushes Lesnar down. Lesnar falls backwards. He sits on his ass in the middle of the ring and smiles. He smiles like, okay, I see what you got. All right, kid. All right, I try not to be intimidated. He tur- when he gets up, he turns around, and when he turns to face Goldberg again from the corner, Goldberg does his uh, semi-finishing spear maneuver, which sets up his real finishing move, the jackhammer. He does a spear. Crowd look. Crowd goes nuts. Lesnar looks hurt. The announcer's like, "Oh, he looks hurt." He's slow to get up. About twenty seconds later, he gets hit with a second spear from Goldberg. Then about twenty seconds after that, there's a jackhammer. One, two, three, minute 30. Crowd goes nuts in person because Goldberg beat the monster Brock Lesnar who who destroyed Cena, who beat the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak in a minute 30. People online were perplexed by this. They were asking themselves, you know, why, like, why would you do this? Why would you build up this guy for years, have him destroy Cena, beat the Undertaker's streak, be a credible monster? Why would you do this and then have Goldberg beat him so easily? saying it was stupid booking. I can't believe this. I don't agree with that assessment. And this is why. I think that there was a much bigger danger in having a longer match, a 15-20 minute match. Now, I'm not saying a minute match was the right idea. Uh, if they did like a three or four minute or five minute match, that might have been better. 
to my sensibilities. But this was not a bad idea in theory, and this is why. Um, even before this event, it was heavily rumored, which turned out to be true via Monday Night Raw, that Goldberg was going to appear in the Royal Rumble at the event. We weren't sure if it was a match or the Royal Rumble event itself, the 30-man over-the-top rope event. This is not going to be the end of Goldberg and Lesnar. Absolutely not. This is a starting point for what could be a very good money feud between the two. Lesnar wasn't tossed around like Cena was for uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes two years ago. Lesnar was caught off guard. He was cocky. He underestimated Goldberg, a guy who was close to 50. Lesnar's still only in his late 30s, and he paid for it by being built and humiliated. That, to me, is a viable storyline and one that you can play off for for the next six months until WrestleMania. I think you can do that fairly easily. He's got to be careful. Lesnar can say, I was unprepared. This is like a soft reboot to the Lesnar character after being this monster that no one could touch. He's been touched up now. Oh, yeah. He's been touched up on. He's never been squashed like this before, as far as I remember, even in the 2002-2004 run. So he can come back with a fury, saying, now I'm for real, now I'm serious. That was a fluke. I didn't, I took you lightly. It ain't going to happen again. And tear through parts of the roster, if need me, need be, to get at Goldberg. Now, Goldberg's going to be back at the Rumble then itself. Because he said on Raw, I have one more title run left in me. Which kind of doesn't protect the business because you don't want to say I want one more title run in you. Because that's like that's a term that the that we say in terms of saying, oh, he's got one more title run to go. You know, he can carry the belt for a while. You don't want to say You want to say I want to be champion once again. Whatever. Minor, minor quibble. Crowd went nuts. He's going to show up in the Rumble. One of two things are probably going to happen. Either he's going to win it, get the title, and eventually face Lesnar. Or you're going to see a repeat of 2004 where Lesnar costs Goldberg the Royal Rumble spot and has him get tossed out, uh, you know, and then they face each other at WrestleMania uh, for part two, which will be a fucking uh, brawl bloodletting event of, of, it won't be a two minute match again, that's for sure. It'll be a fucking, it'll be nuts. As nuts as you can get between the two. Remember, people also have to remember this. When it comes to a minute 30 Goldberg match. Goldberg hasn't wrestled anywhere in 12 years. We have no idea if he could even wrestle a 10 minute match. Without blowing up, gassing out, and looking like garbage. We have no idea. So this was a test. This whole, I I think, time was a test to see the crowd reaction. Which was overwhelming in the two or three times he came out in Raw. crowd was, he was way over. The reaction to him performing in the match and winning the match. All extremely positive in order to get him and have him go forward uh, and probably do, I don't know, at least three months, maybe six months next year if he wins the belt. You know, he'll be around for, you know, uh, I'm not saying a year, from Royal Rumble to maybe SummerSlam, he'll be around, who knows, Royal Rumble to to, uh, Survivor Series, whatever. But it was a great test. He passed it. Now we're going to see some fires. This was the the first building block into what should be uh, a fruitful feud between Lesnar and Goldberg, who are... Uh, probably two of the top five biggest stars in the company, which is sad that WWE hasn't been able to build up someone to a Lesnar or Goldberg level. And these are two guys who haven't, haven't re- wrestled regularly, both since 2004. It's sad. What are you going to do? That's where we're at. 
I'm looking forward to seeing where it develops. So again, I don't think it was a mistake having that that short match. It was shocking, sure. I don't think it was a mistake if they have long-term plans behind it that I think might pan out. It's time for a couple of sponsors. Looking for gear, collectibles, houseware, and more from your favorite pop culture franchises? Loot Crate's got you covered. Loot Crate offers a range of geeking gamer items for less than $20 a month. Want to bring your loot to the next level? Get a bigger box with even bigger loot with Loot Crate DX. If you're more the type to wear your geeky heart in your sleeve, then Lootwear, the monthly wearables and accessory subscription, is what you're looking for. Check out LootCrate.com slash Pat and enter code Pat to save 10% on any new Loot Crate sign-up. It's great. I recommend it. Hey, American Express card members, there's never been a better reason to get out and shop small in your neighborhood. Because now through December 31st, you could earn two times your rewards when you shop small with an enrolled American Express card. Learn more and enroll your eligible car today at AmericanExpress.com slash shop small offer. It always feels two times as good to support local stores. Of course it does, like Luna Video Games. And two, it's two times as rewarding. Prepaid and corporate cards, cards issued by other financial institutions, the Plum Card, and certain other cards are not eligible. Recap, reward cap, and other terms apply right there. And guys, uh, the SoCal Retro Gaming Expo is coming back the weekend of February 4th and 5th in Ontario, California. The third event being put on. I'm a part of it. Uh, it's a great event. We had uh, close to, uh, I think we had 2,500 people show up at the one in August. Uh, it's going to be at the Ontario Convention Center in Southern California. Ticket sales are available at eventbrite, dot com, And uh, you're going to have lots of cool people coming out. Uh, me, Ian, uh, Gerard Khalil, Alex Fasciani's coming. Frankly, back there. You're going to have uh, Ger- uh, Pro Jared, Andre Meadows, Gamester81, Bill and Jay the Game Chasers, Phil Moore from Nick Arcade, and Norm the Gaming Historian. I cannot get away from that SOB. I cannot. <laughs> You're going to have gaming tournaments. Uh, uh, retro game vendors will be there. It's going to be a fantastic time. Uh, you're going to have tournaments. Again, go to SoCalRetroGamingExpo.com. You can order tickets at eventbrite.com. And if you use the code CUPODCAST at Eventbrite and pre-order, you're going to save money. Oh, yes, you will. So, uh, And there's more uh, stuff to be announced. You're going to have the largest Legend of Zelda collection in the world on display. And I can verify that. I've seen half of what's going to be uh, on display. And if even the half is probably one of the bigger collections, uh, double that, and it's going to be the biggest Legend of Zelda collection on display. Again, SoCalRetroGamingExpo.com, February 4th and 5th. At Shipwreck underscore zero zero Q&A time on the CU Podcast. Life after YouTube? What's the long-term end goal? Retirement or jobs? Okay, I'm going to try to answer this as professionally as I can. Uh, YouTube can be a hobby for you. It can be a full-time job. It can be a part-time job. It's what you make of it and how successful you can be at it, like anything else. So the long-term end goal is what you want to make of it. What is your long-term end goal? Do you want to be a YouTuber when you're 50 or 60? You want to do it for a few years? You want to gain a following to promote your business? Hell, some people use it to promote products or a business or, or uh, life coaching, what, whatever you want to use it for. There's no there's no singular answer. Um. There's philosophies, though, I would say, with when it comes to YouTube and in terms of content creation. You could use it as an end-all, be-all, or end-product 
and that's your end goal, or you can use it as a means to an end. What do I mean by that? You can say, well, I want my company or I want my product or I want my content to be exactly what it is on face value, whether I'm a Let's Player, uh, I make comedy videos, I do animation. That's what it is. Those are the videos, and that's all it is, and that's what you get. But what if you uh, use YouTube videos to promote a product? What if you... Uh, Remember that? Does it blend? Remember those videos? Those industrial strength blenders? A guy blends an iPhone. He blends like uh, rocks and sticks and blends uh, rakes and stuff. Those were clever videos that promoted a product. The end goal was selling those. They were making money selling those industrial strength blenders. They weren't making money off those YouTube videos, at least to support the company. Now, there's people that do YouTube videos to promote themselves. Um whether it's a political campaign, whether they're promoting a Kickstarter, uh, promoting, I don't know, promoting a, a certain NES guidebook. So, yes, this is all a ploy. Eight years of YouTube videos to, for a book I, I eventually was gonna, knew I was going to do. No, um, so it's a strange question to me just because YouTube can be whatever you want it to be. But I do think there's a philosophy that at least I wish other people would follow more so, that they can be setting themselves up for failure. Because I look at YouTube as one of several sort of functions that I do. And I've started that way, but that's the way it's become. I have the YouTube videos. Um, I have the podcast. Now, now you guys are, might be watching it, but mo- just as many people listen to it uh, overall. And there's money to be made on the listening aspect versus the YouTube aspect. So there can be different things with sponsors, endorsements, etc. So... There's the podcast. I got YouTube. Um, I have this book thing. I'm hopefully doing an app. I might be doing a game in the future. Other writing uh, projects might be coming up in the future. So I'm looking at it as, as one of a multi sort of prong attack out there. Um, I, I think where some, some people get in trouble, some content creators, they put all their eggs in the one YouTube basket and that's it. Then again, I'll never have millions and millions of subscribers. You know, I'll be lucky to get to half a million in my lifetime probably unless I somehow get a lucky break or strike it big, then you're fine. Uh, life after YouTube. Uh, again, like, uh, like, I'm not sure if that applies either to me or to anyone else. Like, if I if one day I decided to stop doing YouTube, I'd have a damn good reason for it. And it's not because YouTube dissipated. Because even if I, even if I, uh, you know, and let's put it this way, I'm not getting rich off of YouTube for sure. You know, I, I'm making, I made more money off my last job than just YouTube itself. I'm not counting stuff outside of YouTube, but just the YouTube business or videos themselves. I'm making uh, less than my last day job. So, um, that's why it's weird to me, retirement or jobs. Uh, YouTube is a job if you make it a job. People work long hours doing YouTube videos helping build a brand, promote their business, wh- however they use YouTube, whether it's for a Let's Play show, uh, doing uh, angry video game nerd stuff, uh, movie reviews. That That is their job. You may not think it's a job, which is, I think, erroneous on its face uh, for a lot of reasons, but it's a job. So retirement or jobs, I don't know. I, 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 I'm going to try to stick it out doing creative stuff I enjoy. I mean, if there's a market for the podcast... There's a market for a smaller one for NES Punk videos. If people want to read stuff I write uh, or buy products I put out, that's my current job, and that's hopefully be my job going forward. 
I, I used to see a bunch. It's less whining now, but I used to always see people say that YouTube's not a real job. Again, their opinion. Then again, I never ever saw someone say that who, who was uh, largely successful on YouTube. Hold their conversation. Uh, but to say that, oh, this YouTube thing's going to run dry or it's uh, going to stop at some point. Okay, you can think that. But for now, I'm just going to ride it out. And then if it, if it disappears 20 years from now, that's 20 years less of me doing a shitty fucking job I can't stand versus doing something that not only I enjoy, but hopefully you guys enjoy because you're watching this and listening to this right now. So I always hated that argument too about, oh, what if this, what if this stops? Okay, okay, who fucking cares? I will figure out something else to do because I am talented enough. I was talented enough before YouTube to do something else. And then as a hobby, and now, I'll be fine. And most of the people that are successful will be fine. We'll, we, will, we will land on our fucking feet. And don't think you're being noble asking that question. Not you in particular who asked it, um, uh, shipwreck. But I mean, in general, that there is a, whoa, YouTube can go away any day now. Okay. I'll still write shit. I'll still entertain in some way. I'll still have a podcast. You know, worry about your own life. And, and trust me, I had shitty fucking jobs. You know, maybe there were some YouTubers that were lucky when they were young and got got big maybe a little bit too soon. Ones that I've seen definitely too soon because they don't have the respect of having shitty jobs before and grinding uh, 55, 60 hour work weeks before getting on YouTube and striking it big. That's a fair that's a fair argument. That's all their conversation I'll have with Ian one day that we would both relish because I've seen it firsthand. I've seen what uh, early success have, has done to people who aren't prepared for it. But that said, I've had those shitty jobs working 55, 60 hours a week, getting no respect, making a little bit of money, sometimes uh, sometimes not. Uh, I don't want to go back to that. If you're happy with your shitty 60-hour-a-week uh, job, then I, I ain't going to ask you when it's going to end, even though I should. Well, when's that job going to go away? Because you're going to wish that went away at that point. <laughs> you know. And if you have a shitty job, it's not always your fault. I'm not saying that. But wishing that my decent job that I work hard at goes away or thinking it will be as a punishment, uh, that's fucking shitty to, to, to say or think that. To, to be wishful, wishfully thinking that, well, this YouTube thing's going to go away any day now. It, it, and if it does go away, it'll be replaced by something else. Because now every big business and entertaining, entertainment medium is involved now. Movie studios have a piece of... Uh, YouTube networks, Disney's involved. This is a whole new entertainment entertainment medium now online. It's it's like saying what happens if NBC and ABC went away tomorrow? There'll still be TV channels that exist. Likewise, there will still be online entertainment and people to plug the holes that exist. If YouTube goes away, which it won't anytime soon, it'll be replaced by something else. Because there'll be a huge vacuum and void in the marketplace that, that'll be filled. I'm not saying it'll look exactly the same or function exactly the same, but something will pop up. Oh, I fucking guarantee it. At Great 8 White Gibster, where do you draw the line between a rare and uncommon retro game? That's not, that's not an easy question to answer, unfortunately. Uh, just because um, it depends on your experience and the region of the country you're from. Uh, games were released and you know, nationwide, but for example, a game like TNC Surf Designs on the West Coast, California, San Diego, LA, very common game, and just common, like a 3 out of 10, maybe a 4 out of 10 on on the East Coast. You're, you're going to find it not as often. 
uh, for rare and uncommon. I look at it this way. Can I, can I always find a rare game if I want to? If I snap my fingers and I look online, can I find that rare game easily? Or can I come across it every now and then? Probably not. Doesn't mean it's going to be impossible to find, but I should be able to find it, just not, not at a good clip. An uncommon game I will find semi-regularly, whether at a swap meet, flea market, uh, Retro game conventions, I'll find it almost every single one and multiple copies. Like an uncommon game, I should walk uh, at your average retro game uh, event, which I go to about 10 a year now, 8 to 10 a year. I should be able to find a dozen or more uncommon of the same game. I should be able to find, uh, let's see, uh, I should be able to find a dozen lethal weapon games. Maybe 10 at your average retro game event. Um... I will not find a dozen Gunnacks at your average retro game event. See, that's the difference. I'll find maybe a couple. You know, uh, if I go on eBay, I'll be able to find them all the time, which is why, again, I don't want to get into that little Samson conversation, but there's always like 10 little Samsons on eBay. Is that truly rare, or is it rare and collectors are constantly selling it? That's another conversation. I think it's still rare, but that's a little hitchy, that one. But again... If it's truly a rare game, I should have problems finding it. Um, I should have problems uh, finding uh, Panic Restaurant, but not necessarily The Last Starfighter. Even The Last Starfighter, that's uncommon, borderline very uncommon. See, it's just about your experience. Again, I've been collecting games for 20 years, so uh, you're not always going to be accurate. But at least you have that 20 years to go off of to sort of have a baseline. Of, of how often you see games, how often you hear other collectors are looking for them. I'm looking at an Alfred Chicken right now in the NES. That's at least very uncommon, according to a certain NES guidebook. You can make a case for rare. Yeah, it, re- it really depends. Now you're splicing hairs between very uncommon and rare. There's a bigger divide between uncommon and rare, though. Again, it comes down to uh, how often you see it. Will you find it in the wild? Again, I know people that have found Bonk's Adventure, Little Samson in the wild. I found the Zombie Nation in the, in the wild. You know, so your mile is going to vary, but it's more about the experience. And I hate to say it, eBay's kind of, and the current market's kind of skewed it, which is why uh, I hate to bring up the guidebook. But I've based my more experience in the past 20 years than the past couple years when it comes to rarity. Because it's now that stuff's in collectors' hands and stuff that is getting, uh, stuff's getting flipped or stuff's getting pyramid schemed, so to speak. Uh, and getting swapped around between other people trying to make the most buck on their, their quote-unquote rare game, it's harder to get a better gauge on where uh, how, how common games are now versus even five or six years ago. All right. And that does it for the CU podcast. Uh, listen on Stitcher. Listen on iTunes. Podbean. If you, if you really want to show your support, uh, please leave a comment on any of those any of those places. Leave a, a positive star rating if, if you if you like the podcast. Uh, you can follow uh, us on Twitter, Pat the NES Punk and Pixel Sickle. You know, hopefully, we'll be back the next uh, podcast, but I can't guarantee it. There's also a Patreon uh, for the podcast. You can see the video episodes in their entirety without waiting for the cuts, and that's uh, Patreon.com/slash/PixelSickle. And look out for that Path to NES Punk video coming out soon. And I hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. 
and uh, a certain NES guidebook is going to be going to a second print run soon. They might be less available for Christmas, but we will get those books to you that you want. <laughs> so I think I covered all the topics here. I think I might have missed one, but whatever. I'm tired, and I'm hungry, and I have to go to another meeting right now for something totally unrelated to good old fun podcast. So for myself, Pat Contry, I'm Pat Contry. What? And we'll see you in a couple of weeks, hopefully with Christmas decorations all in my fancy-ass game room. Take care, everyone. Have a good night.